Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. So, full hearts, great gain. A couple weeks ago, Candace and I were talking while she was at the hospital with Aaron about, hey, we haven't had meetings in a while. Um, you've been busy, you know, taking care of your husband's health. So, what's the next sermon series going to be about? And she says, I've got this idea about contentment and and living a content life and a full life and the blessings that come with it. And I'm thinking about calling it um, full hearts, great gain. And I went, what else? What's that mean? What is, what is, I don't get it. But because I'm a great number two in a church capacity, I went, okay, yes, I love it. Nothing better, best name ever, I got it. I'm behind you 100%. I won't mock it on stage like it's the best. Full hearts, great gain. But over the past two weeks, the vision of full heart, great gain has been poured out, and I understand it, and I get why we have this name. I get the vision that it came from. If you, if you missed it, go back to week one when that passage is laid out, that, that when we have full hearts, we can see a great gain in our lives. But um, I want to go back to what I first thought of when Candace shared that sermon title, and there might be maybe one, maybe two people in the room that had a similar thought to me, but maybe not. My mind works in weird ways. There was a TV show out when I was a kid that I loved. I watched all the time, and then it came out on Netflix, and I binged it, and I fell in love with it again. It's called Friday Night Lights. Any Friday Night Light fans out there? Like, I haven't met one yet this week. I've been asking everyone. No one here has seen this show. So this will be new for all of us. It's going to be a new experience. But the second I heard it, I thought of that show. Because the coach had a phrase that he would say to his team in the locker room before matches or at practices. He would say, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And when he would say, clear eyes, full hearts, the team would shout with him, can't lose. Like that was their mantra. That was their battle cry. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And it came from the movie Friday Night Lights with Billy Bob Thornton. If you haven't seen that movie, it's, it's a pretty good football movie. This is a football TV show all about the Friday Night Lights. Like, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Here's the idea. If your eyes are fixed on what you're trying to achieve and your heart is invested fully, the scoreboard at the end of the day won't matter. You can't lose. And when Candace was talking about full hearts, great gain, I thought clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And I was like, that's where you got the title from, right? And she went, no, what are you talking about? You're crazy. And I was like, everyone will get that, Candace. It's Friday Night Lights. And apparently she was right, as usual. And nobody gets that. But today, I hope that you understand the concept because we're going to go to some of the words of Jesus and determine how if we have clear eyes and full hearts, we will have great gain. We can't lose. That's important. The Bible says we are more than conquerors. That means we can't lose. The Bible says that, that victory is assured in Jesus Christ. That means we can't lose. But we fail and we fall all the time. You know, in Friday Night Lights, they, they didn't win every game. But they could not lose if they gave their all and they did their best. If we're following Jesus and we fix our eyes on him, we cannot lose. We might fail. We might stumble. We might falter. We cannot lose. Victory is assured in Jesus Christ. And it's important we know that at the outset here. You cannot lose if your heart is full of him. So let's look at the passage. Uh, there's a couple things I want to draw out of it as we go through it. Um, one of my favorite ways of 
learning from Jesus is hearing him talk smack on other people. Um, because we serve a smack-talking, devil-stomping, uh, grave-robbing savior, and he didn't pull his punches. Sometimes I beat around the bush, and I kind of, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of a softy in those essences. He wasn't, and I love that about him. So today we're going to hear him rebuke and reprimand some individuals so that we can learn from you know, their embarrassment, let's be honest. So we're going to Mark chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus' favorite punching bag, the Pharisees. And, and I, want to, I do want to explain this. I spent some time studying the Pharisees this week. And a few of the articles I was reading, they were saying, we have painted the Pharisees in this horrific, horrible light. But they were looked up at by all of the people as the people closest to God. The ones who, who were following him closest, they knew the law. They studied it. They would memorized it. They, they would keep it, and they would keep it so religiously that they would keep even the secondary law and the tertiary law and the, the, the farthest law because they didn't want to offend God. They were really going after God. I bet you there were some Pharisees out there that were, were closer to God than, than many of us in this room because they were pursuing him. Just many of them and those in power were making mistakes, and Jesus spoke to power. So, one day, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Ceremony, ritual, tradition. These are words you don't hear around here very often because we don't hold or stand on ceremony. We don't invest in or put value in ancient tradition for the most part. There are a few traditions we hold very value, but we don't have rituals around here so much. It's not something we do because we don't want our hearts to become full of religion. A heart that is full of religion has no room in it for relationship. Candace was, was preaching about the importance of filling our hearts the past couple weekends, and she is right. Um, but I wanna postulate something real quick, big word for think about. I, I talk to teenagers most of the time, I need to explain my big words. So I want to postulate that perhaps our hearts are always full. Just sometimes they're full of crap. It's like our stomach. The minute your stomach's not full, it's like a vacuum. It's like, give me more. It, it like insists. Our hearts are a vacuum. You know why thunder just happened a moment ago? Nature hates vacuums. You know what happened? All the, all the electrons expanded and the, the nature went, no! And it slammed together and created thunder. Vacuums cannot exist. Your heart is a vacuum. The minute you empty it, something is going to fill it. But what is it full of? Is it full of religion? Is it full of tradition? Is it full of ritual? Is it full of practices? Or is it full of something that can add value to your life? There are a few. I don't want to completely throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are some important traditions we keep at Freedom Valley Church. We, we practice communion. That is a tradition handed to us from Jesus Christ. And every time we take it, it is a holy and sacred tradition that we remember him. We're not letting go of that because no traditions, anarchy. We're not doing that. 
baptism. We hold to that. Actually, the word here when they say submerging the cups underwater, the word they're using is baptizo. It's the same word to submerge. They're, they're literally baptizing the vessels because they want them to be sacred. We baptize. We, we do a lot of traditions here that are ordered in scripture, but we don't add to it. And you see what the Pharisees were doing is they were adding to it. It all started with the Bible talking about the fact that the priests had to wash their hands before doing their ceremonial work. So the Pharisees, they added, they're not priests, they're not in the temple, but before they eat, they will ceremonially wash their hands. This isn't the health kind of washing your hands. They would have already done that when they walked in the house. They would have washed their hands for cleanliness. But now they've already washed their hands. They walk over and the food's there. Now they're going to ceremonially pour the water over their hands to represent the fact that they have washed off even the uncleanliness of the outside world. They won't even allow it. They wanted everybody to see. Here's another step of how I am even closer to being closer to being closer to God. Not only that, they would then um, submerge their cups completely in water. And this came from the fact that, that a bowl wasn't clean if the outside was dirty. Now, I'm not the cleanest person, but if the outside of my cup is a little dirty, I don't care. The inside I care about. But they would believe if the outside of the cup was even the least ceremonially unclean, the whole cup would be submerged and cleansed. As a matter of fact, if that cup was touching a table and the table was ceremonially unclean, the cup was now unclean. It had to be submerged in water and ceremonially cleansed. There's no germs in that cup. The table doesn't even have germs on it, but because the table was touched ceremonially, the cup now unclean, inside of cup unclean, wash whole cup. As a matter of fact, if an individual walks in the house and that individual is unclean and they have grazed the table with themselves, the table's now unclean, the cup is now unclean, the inside of the cup is unclean, wash the cup. Okay, a dog walks into the house and doesn't even touch the table. It might not even look at the table. Table is now unclean, cup is now unclean, inside of cup is now unclean, ritualistically clean it. What they're doing is adding layers of religion to one idea that was derived from scripture and was important for the priests to follow when they walked in to do their holy work. They added layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. They were the Pharisees and this is what they did. You know, there was more types of people in the Jewish culture than just the Pharisees. There was something called the Amharets. This is the common people, the common people. Imagine you are a common everyday worker. You don't have a lot of money. You, you have maybe one cup in your house, one table in your house. You work 12 hours a day and you get home. You look at the cup, the cup is clean. But imagine a Pharisee comes to you, the Amharets, the common person, and he says, you're not clean because you didn't ritualistically submerge the cup because a dog walked past your house. You have added so many layers to this religion that the common person can no longer have access to God. That's what they were doing. They were corrupting and filling their hearts with religion. And Jesus did not force that upon his disciples. As a matter of fact, let's, let's go on to verse seven, uh, five. So the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. 
why it's not fair that we have to do it, but they don't. You're a religious leader. You're a good man. We clearly see that you are, but your followers, you're not heaping more burdens upon them. Why not? Why not? You should. You should be making others have to do that. It's not fair, Jesus. We have to do it. They should too. The minute you're saying that's not fair to someone who is trying to follow God because it's harder for me, it should be harder for you, you're missing the point. Any step someone takes towards Jesus should be celebrated. Don't look at the steps left to go because you got more steps left in your own walk. Okay? Don't worry that God has told you you can't do something. Worry about the steps they're taking and you're taking and we're all growing towards him. They were heaping religion on people. Verse 6. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. See what I mean? He doesn't pull any punches. They're like, hey, why don't they wash their hands? And he's like, you're a bunch of hypocrites. And like, that's not the answer they were looking for. Maybe they were actually looking for a theological discussion. He just lays them out. Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands to, from God. Man-made ideas as commands from God. I wish that this is the last time we ever heard of someone preaching a man-made idea as if it was from God. But it happens. It happens often. And Jesus calls it out. When we substitute our own traditions for the laws of God, we are putting ourselves in the position of God. Well, I always heard that you shouldn't. What, where does it say that in the Bible? Please bring me to God's law so that we can look at it. Please bring me to where Jesus instructed me to do that because you're not him. And, and we can learn this. If God's telling you, you follow it, please. But if if God's telling me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear it from him or see it in his word. And we cannot heap upon ourselves religion. Jesus actually continued in, uh, in verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8. That's why I missed it. For you ignore God's laws and substitute your own tradition. This is why religion is dangerous. Do not fill your heart with religion because you begin to ignore God's laws and substitute it for your own tradition. Throughout Christian history, we actually see this. Uh, early American history is blighted by the scourge in our history of slavery. And you know what one of the saddest parts is? The Bible was bent and twisted to allow for the owning of humans. God's very words, because it talks about slavery, but it was talking about a very different culture, and it was talking about a very different situation, was bent and twisted to say, this is our right. As a matter of fact, slaves were not even allowed in churches. You don't have to go any farther than that to understand that you were twisting and bending scriptures. Slaves in ancient culture were allowed to worship their God, and that was removed from them because they were seen as not human. That's the way the laws were written. And you know how those laws were defended? With the Bible. Man-made tradition was going over God's higher law. 
We, we then go a little bit later to the civil rights movement when the, the Bible was used to propagate the belief that no one of a different color should ever propagate because that goes against the natural law of God's word. That is not something I see. Now, you can corrupt the ideas of Scripture where the Israelites were not to blend with other people groups, which was an instruction for that time so that they could be set apart, but that's what they did. Do not intermarry. That's what the Bible's saying right there because I don't want that to happen because that makes me uncomfortable. My traditions, my heritage, nothing else. This is wrong, and it is easy to fall into. Now, again, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. There would be now people saying that's the same thing we're doing with LGBTQ rights, and, and we, have to, we have to hold to our old traditions. And, and you know what we have to do? We have to go to God's word, not our own traditions, not our feelings, not our comfortability or our uncomfortability. I would be, and I'm going to be honest with you, I would be far more comfortable if I could stand on this stage and say, God's word says nothing against homosexuality, you live your life. But that is not what God's word says. It would be far easier for me to stand here and say, you do you. Love is love. Just live that life. I cannot, and I have worked hard at it. But every time I go back to God's law and I don't substitute my own traditions or my own opinions, I come back with one truth. God was clear on the issue of sexual purity, and I have to honor what he discussed. I have to teach what he taught, and I do it not on my own traditions, but with love pointing to him. And I say, you will make your own decisions. You will answer to God one day. But if you're asking me what I see in his word and his clearly written law, I believe you see the same thing. But you want us to heap our own traditions and fill our hearts with religion so that we can comfort ourselves in our own sickness. And I cannot do that. That's what we see in scripture. It swings both ways. So many people want to use religion to either say, you can't do that, or I can do this, when they should be going to God's law and saying, God, what is best for me? I will follow you and trust you despite my own opinions. If we fill our hearts with religion, we end up with hearts that are not filled with relationship. Hearts that can't get the gain that God has for it because they are grasping at their own things rather than enforcing his own ways. They substituted God's laws for their own tradition. Verse 29. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, verse 10. I, I skipped that. For instance, Moses gave you this law. Honor your father and your mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of his father or mother must be put to death. Um, parents, hold on to that one. All right? But you say, the Pharisees, you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give God what I would have given you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. This is where the Pharisees no longer had clear eyes. They had cloudy eyes. Cloudy eyes filled with compromise. You see, compromise is when we let just a little bit in because, and, and my students love this about this rule, 
They love the compromise on the honor your, your mother and father rule. They'll say, well, the Bible says we should honor our father and mothers, but what if our mom and dads go against God, huh? Then we can. Then we cannot listen to them, right? 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 I'm like, okay, yeah, in that very one, very, very, very slim and specific situation, you put God in the position above your parents. Now, what's the issue you want to talk about? Well, they told me I had to be home by curfew and youth group ends at 930 and I really have to rush to get home. Okay, then you have to rush to get home. I don't... I don't know why you're still here asking me this question because you need to honor your father and mother. You see, we want to compromise. We want to find the way to do the thing we wanted to do anyway. And we cloud our eyes, covering it with compromise, finding the way to do what we wanted to do anyway and use God's law, his word, his Bible as a crowbar to wedge in what we wanted anyway. If our eyes are cloudy, we miss out on what matters. We ignore what we know is right. We begin to deny his word and supply our own. We reason away that which we know is true until we're left only with lies that we'll embrace because they're comfortable. We reason away what we know to be true until we will embrace the lies that make us comfortable. It's the situation where we want to ignore the behavior that makes us feel bad. Because if I ignore it, I feel better. It's, it's I pay my tithe so I can skip service. Or, or I go to church so I can skip my tithe. It's I serve in kids ministry so I don't have to sit in a service. It's, it's I don't have to read my Bible because I have Christian radio. Listen, Word FM is not the word in, that you need in the AM. All right? One does not replace the other. I don't need to be on time for worship or for service because I listen to Hillsong Radio on the way. Listen, I, I would never consistently show up to work late, I promise. But, but it happens. But if you intentionally show up for work late because, you know, I was doing work in the car on the way here, your boss is going to have a problem with that. We compromise. It's okay because, I don't have to because, I, I, I do what I want because it, it's a little, it's different for me. You don't understand. Things are different for me. Listen, you will have to answer to God one day. You're right. Maybe it is different from you. Maybe he created a whole set of laws and structures and commandments, and then he went, but Jason, this is your separate law, instructions, and commandments. And I'm like, I'm cool like that. You know, I got a friend, and, and he, he's going to let me in, and, and then I'm going to get there one day, and I'm going to be answerable. And we should work out our, fear, our faith with fear and trembling because of that. Our cloudy eyes will distract us from the truth of God's love about seeing others the way that he sees them. This is important. You know the other thing that, that cloudy, compromising eyes do? Rather than looking at Jesus, they look at others to create comparisons. Well, I'm not as bad as they are. Who cares? Did Jesus say, as long as you're not as bad as Steve, you're good? Did he say, please compare yourself to Karen? Or did he say, no one is perfect except me, but I'll carry all your burdens. Compare yourself to me and me alone. You know what clear eyes see? The Savior on a hill. Cloudy eyes focus on everything else. Clear eyes. Clear eyes. I don't sin as bad as they do, so I'm okay. 
I'm not as bad as him or her, so I'm going to get into heaven. I've done more good things today. I've done one good thing every day. I do one kind act every day, so I'm good. I'm good, right? Show me where it says it, because I'm not putting my traditions over God's law. Verse 14. Then Jesus called to the crowd. Stopping speaking to the Pharisees, he looked at everyone, and he addressed. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. Verse 15. 15. 15. Alright. Just a sec, guys. Sorry. I got it here. I just got to exit. It is not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Jesus says you are defiled by what comes from your heart. You see, the Pharisees were looking at the cup, and they were saying the cup was unclean. So if I drink from the cup, I will be unclean. But Jesus says it's not what's going into your body, but what's coming from your body. We might have clear eyes, but we also need full hearts. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd. 17. I think we're stuck again. Then Jesus went into the house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand this either? Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but it passes through the stomach and then it goes down into the sewer. He's talking about poop. <laughs> By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And he added, it is what comes from inside you that defiles you. What comes from inside you that defiles you. When I was uh, uh, a teenager, maybe, maybe starting at 12, I started going away to uh, Academy, Royal Ranger Academy. And uh, there was a communicator there who I, I really wish I knew his full name so that every time I told these stories about him, I could honor him properly. Um, but all I remember is his name was Pastor Buck. Pastor Buck. Pastor Buck would come and he would preach and he would use these amazing illustrations that helped keep me focused after a long day in the woods, camping and playing with my friends. We'd sit at the altar and he would use these illustrations and, and they connected with me. And I think it's a big reason why I feel uh, the call that God has put on my life is to create memorable experiences and moments that individuals can take God's word that, that might be, you know, an ethereal thing that ethereal, like a, a big thing, um, and apply it to their life in a particular way so they can hold on to it. Um, and when I was thinking about this, it's what comes from inside that defiles you, I remembered one of the illustrations that Pastor Buck did when I was 12, and that was, that was a while ago. And um, I actually asked Jenna, Jenna, can you come on up and help me with that? Um, can you guys give her a round of applause as she comes? And Jenna is going to grab her heart, and she's going to wear her heart right on her sleeve for us. And uh, she's got a, a comically large heart today. Um, so just stand, stand right up here, just right there, and then lower it so they can see your, your pretty face. And, and I may have, have deceived Jenna a little bit. I told her she had to hold the heart. She's also going to have to answer a few questions. Yes or no questions, very simple. Uh, G Jenna, 
What's, what's on your heart right here? Anything? No. No, it, it's, it's empty, right? But we said earlier that, that your heart is always full. Um, there's actually quite a bit you see that there's something right in your heart, all right? We've got something going in her heart. But before we can really answer what's inside her heart, we have to deal with who owns her heart, right? Um, because if we just constantly put garbage in something that, that nobody is taking care of, guess what? We're just, it's going to, who has that, that spot at your work that it's, it's somebody else's job? Um, we used to have a joke around here at the office that we had an empty desk and we wanted to get a name badge that said somebody else. And whenever we had something that was somebody else's job, we just put it on the empty desk and somebody else could take care of it. Well, well, if no one owns our heart, it'll be somebody else's job to take care of it. And when it's somebody else's job, who takes care of it? Uh, me. Yeah, me, me. That's nobody. I don't, if it's somebody else's, I'm not dealing with it. So, Jenna, we need to deal with something. Right now, no one owns your heart. It's, it's available. Are you available? No, we're not going to go there. <laughs> we need to know if you're willing to give Jesus your heart. Give him your, your, your everything, your, your very core, your principles. Um, and and, and are, you, are you willing to do that today? Sure. Sure. And so, so just you pray after me, Jesus, I give you my heart. And I'll follow you for the rest of my life. I commit my life to you. I, I ask you to forgive me my sins. Give you every, okay, okay, we, we've done that, say amen, amen. All right, so we're gonna give your heart to Jesus then. There we go. Now Jesus, he, he owns her heart. This is Jesus' heart, all right? And if this is Jesus' heart, I have a question for you. If maybe some of you, you've been saved, you've been transformed, and, and you've met Jesus, and you felt just the weight come off you. you, you've experienced that. But here's one thing I've noticed about my personal conversion. The things inside of my heart were still in there. He had ownership of it, but the house that I gave him was still really messy. And, and Jenna, I hate to say this, your heart's kind of messy. As a matter of fact, it's, it's full of a lot of things. Let's see what we got here. We got, we got evil thoughts. Jenna, did you know you had evil thoughts? Apparently no. Yeah, yeah, she didn't know that. And, and she is wicked. You see, verse... Verse 20. Can we throw up verse 20 for a sec? Uh, verse 21. From within, from, for, for from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, and murder. Did you know you have evil and wicked thoughts? Did you know that? And, and they come out of your heart. You see, it's, it's, not, it's not what's inside us. that it's, it's what comes out of us that people notice. And our evil thoughts, they, they pour out of us. And, and then that's what people see. And if, if we let the world know that Jesus has our hearts and evil thoughts are the things coming out, what does that make them think of Jesus? Nothing good. So what we need to do is we need to get a six-pack. I got a six-pack right here. And we need to replace it with kindness and encouragement. And what we need to do, you see, this is, this is Jesus' heart. We have to keep it full. We have to, it's from within a person's heart come evil thoughts. We need to replace those evil thoughts with kindness and encouragement. You holding it tight? There you go. But, but when we put more in, more comes out. Jenna, this might be embarrassing for you, but, but your heart's got sexual immorality in it and, and lust. And now let's not throw Jenna under the bus. I'll stand here for a second because my heart 
has sexual immorality in it and lust. These things, they, they come from the inside and they corrupt us. But this is, this is supposed to be Jesus' heart. And when these things come out of us, they reflect on him. So we need to replace those things. We need to replace lust with, get back in this nice cold six pack, with love, and with purity. And when we put that on and we put it in our heart, we've dealt with another thing that was corrupting us and filling us. And we get it down in there and we start to realize there's even more to deal with. There's, there's greed and theft. I, I'm gonna be honest, like, I never realized what, how, how greedy and corrupt I was until like I didn't have my wallet on me and I was hungry and there were candy bars. I'm an adult human being and I'm like, it's Walmart, man. They, they work loss prevention into their prices. Of course I didn't steal the candy bar. I wanted to. But if I wanted to, that's in my heart. And I got to get that out. But, but if I've removed that, remember, your heart, it's a vacuum. It will want to be filled up with something else. So I have to replace it. And I have to replace it with a heart that is giving and generous. Candace talked last week about if you want to see great gain in your life, you have to live a generous and giving life. And I have to replace that. But, but when I put that in, there's only so much room. And there's still more evil coming out. I, I actually have a heart that, that is filled with murder. And, and I, have you, have you committed murder, Jenna? No. But have you ever experienced this? Sure, yeah. There's no hate. I mean, she, she hates me right now. I just brought her up on the stage and made her talk in a microphone. And when we have hate in our heart, we're guilty of murder. Jesus said that. And if hate is coming out of our heart, it's just another step until we want someone dead. And, and if that's coming out of our heart, that can't be. So we have to replace it. Because if it's left empty, more evil will come in. And again, that's replaced with love and an honoring life. You see, there are some people in this world that I struggle to love. I really do. There are some people in this world that I want to hate. I want to hate real bad. And, and not all those people deserve it. Some of them deserve it. But if I love the life inside of them, this is important. I was thinking about this this week. It becomes a lot easier to love the life inside of them because they carry Jesus' spark, his very nature. God created them, and I love God, and God loves them. It becomes easier to love their life, who they are, who they were made to be. Maybe not the way they're behaving to me. Maybe they're not the way they're treating my loved ones, but I can love and honor their life. We should have a high value of life and not want to see it lost in any capacity. There's times it has to, but we should never relish in that fact. And we fill our hearts with a love for life. There's more, Jenna. Ooh, do you struggle? I don't know if you do. Deceit? No, no lies. How about, how about slander? Slander, you know, you know, talking bad about somebody intentionally? Defaming their character? It's a great way to get ahead in the workplace. If you're really struggling, looking for a promotion, slander. 
You know, Tom didn't do his work. He was late the other day. And I, you know, I do a great job. I'm just saying. And, and I've never been late once. It's kind of deceitful. And when, when that comes out of our heart, again, we have to fill it. And the opposite of that is praise of others and the truth about ourselves. I, I'm probably, re- Aaron has a good laugh at me because I am painfully truthful about myself and my own weaknesses. I just see no sense in hiding it if I'm not, if I'm not capable or willing to change it right now. Just own it. Like, yeah, that was me. I farted. Why, you know, like, we all fart. Like, come on. You don't, am I the only one who farts? I'm the only one who watches Friday Night Lights. I'm the only one who farts. It's a tough day for me. But the opposite of slander isn't just the truth, because sometimes the truth can, can be slanderous, and, and we let ourselves get away with it by compromising and clouding our eyes. I'm just saying the truth. That's just the way she is, when really we should be replacing it with praise. It is easy to tell the truth and slander someone. It is hard work to find something to praise. I love people who are good at bringing praise who find the thing to celebrate in me or in others, who work hard to praise. And I want to get more of that in my heart. Jenna, you want more of that in your heart? It's getting a little little full in your heart, Jenna. Let's see what else we got. We got another problem. Adultery. Are you married? No. But you know, it's adultery. That that can happen with those lustful thoughts that we, we just dealt with. She doesn't have anymore. But also envy. You know, envy's... Envy is one that I have to define a lot. You see, envy isn't jealousy. Envy is, is worried or wanting something someone else has. Jealousy is worried that you'll lose something you have. Envy is wanting something someone else has. That's why it's like adultery. You see, adultery is, ooh, I want that. That's not mine, but I want that. I'll take that. I'm going to find a way to get that. An envious heart will never be satisfied and always want more. So if we replace envy and adultery with a nice cold one of commitment and contentment. Commitment and contentment. Uh, I I took a premarital class here at Freedom Valley and I would encourage you, find a place to do some premarital counseling if you're looking to get married. And the number one thing they said is, listen, we're gonna tell you something you might not believe. Communication is not the most important part of any marriage. Communication is not the most important part of any marriage. You know what is? Commitment. You can have a successful marriage and communicate very rarely if you are committed to one another and to God above everything else. It'll certainly be better and more fun if you can communicate clearly, but if you are committed, you can have a successful and long-lasting relationship. Commitment, and then finding contentment in that relationship. Not wishing you had more or different, but being okay with the same and good and better and great. I'm content with what I have, if I want more, I cannot honor my commitment. So we, we get some more of that in there. Ready, Jenna? What else you got? Anything else for me here? Ooh. This one, pride. The sin of pride, thinking you're greater than you are, or foolishness. You occasionally do foolish things. Yeah, I know I do. And foolishness, there's an obvious answer to. Wisdom. With, with wisdom, it's ironic. Wisdom and humility. The answer to pride is humility. Thinking of others as greater than yourself and wisdom. And then we fill our hearts, your heart's now full, with good things. Good job, you just worked really hard. I have a question. What's the difference between working really hard 
to fill your heart with good things and religious spirit. And this is where I struggled with this idea. Jesus says it's the, the overflow of our evil hearts. And, and we talked about having a full heart and clear eyes. We can have great gain. But he also said that it's what comes out of the heart. And that was the key for me. And that's where I'm adding a little bit to the illustration that, that Pastor Buck did. You see, Jenna, you've got, a, you've got a great heart. It's owned by Jesus. It's filled with all of these beautiful things. And, and I would strive to live a life this amazing, to not struggle with all of these things, to have them pouring out of my heart. But if I want great gain, I don't just want it for my own heart. I want it for the world. So what I need is for Jesus to come along and say, all of those great things in your heart, they're great. You're doing a great job. You're working hard to keep the bad stuff out, but I don't care about that. I wanna be in your heart. You holding it really strong? I wanna be in your heart. And I want you to pour all of those things out to the whole world, and then I can live in you. I can fill you. And the whole world can be blessed by those other things. The whole world can have more love in it, more respect, more encouragement, more wisdom, more humility, because if we keep it to ourselves, it is only good for us, and that is not a great game. This is, this is a winner right here. This is an absolute winner. Going to heaven, amazing. You have, you have lived a good life. You have given it to Jesus. You have honored him by removing the evil in your heart, replacing it with the good. But it isn't until you allow Jesus to pour it out into the rest of the world through you that you have a great gain. Can you guys give her a round of applause? I want to go back to Mark 6, verse 7. Uh, Mark 7, 6 and 7, before we close. Jesus replied, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. What is your heart full of? Man-made religion? Or relationship with God? Is your worship real? Or is it a farce made to make others think of you as higher than you are? What are you full of? Crappy religion or a wholesome savior? I have three possible responses that I see. Have you given your heart to Jesus yet, or is it still full of garbage without an owner? Is it somebody else's heart, and you're just waiting for somebody to fix the mess that we all make of ourselves? That's one. Two, have you given your life to Jesus, but you still need to deal with the garbage inside it? You need to replace it with the virtues he instills. And three, have you filled your heart with these things? Have you built a life on his principles? Have you given him your heart, but you're not sharing them with the world? Father, I thank you that you don't let us stay cloudy-eyed and lost, but you call us to live a life where we can't lose. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. talked about contentment being a measure of our spiritual growth, right? That no matter what season you're in, how content you are can sometimes sort of be a measure. And I want to just encourage you, we tend to, as a culture, lay back a little in the summer, right? I don't want us to do that. Over this summer, I want us to continue to grow in our faith, to grow in our contentment, that no matter where we are, We are fully relying on God. We are vibrant in our worship, passionate in our spiritual growth, and selfless in serving each other. And so I want to just remind you, on our app, FP Church, in your app store, every single week there are sermon notes, but it goes further than that. There's little buttons at the bottom with more videos you can watch. This week you can watch more about the book of Mark to understand the full scope of it. We get... 30 minutes to preach the word, but you have so much time throughout the week to study the scriptures and to work on it. There's a a Bible plan, I believe, on there this week as well. Jump in, dive in, figure it out, understand God's word on a new level this summer, and grow in your faith.